This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. This is Neil McMillan inviting you to join me for Pulse of Politics. I'll be bringing you 30 minutes of interviews, conversation and commentary on issues that matter. That's Pulse of Politics. It's not an easy or an ideal time to be contemplating a general election. When people are nervous, as indeed they are, over health, jobs and well-being, they're not in the best frame of mind to make considered and potentially far-reaching decisions of grave importance for the next three years. Yet it's a duty none of us can shirk. We have a responsibility to ourselves, to our fellow citizens, and to the kind of society we want for the future. For the political parties, it's a particular dilemma how to judge the policies and the leadership most needed as we come through the COVID-19 pandemic and its aftermath. And for the candidates, how do they campaign during a period of such uncertainty, especially when the campaign period has been extended by one month to October the 17th? For first-time candidates, it's even more of a challenge, and many are in this category, one of whom is in the studio, and we're very pleased to be welcoming the New Zealand First candidate for the Dunedin seat, Robert Griffith. Welcome, Robert, and thanks very much for joining us. Cheers, Neil. Robert, with the election being deferred for just on a month, how has this affected your campaign planning? Yeah, so obviously it was a it was a um, major breakup uh, in what we had planned. But if anything, um, it was a bit of a silver lining because it gives us more opportunity to step away for a week and think, well, what were we doing right? What were we doing wrong? Um, but the show must go on in a number of ways. I mean, you know, yeah, there's obviously the very obvious ways that people campaign um, when they're out there talking to people. But even just every day when I go to the petrol station or – when I'm with friends, that in itself is a form of campaigning. So in that regard, you know, the show goes on now. Let's talk about your background. You came to Dunedin from Rotorua for university study, and now you've settled here. Uh, that's brought you into what field of career prospect? Oh, yeah. uh, well, I've uh, in, a, in a week, um, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but I'll have graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Politics, Philosophy and Economics. Um, and that sort of, <clears throat> I mean, you could almost go anywhere with that degree, but it tends to lead people into the bureaucracy and um, government ministries, uh, maybe even local council. Um, so, yeah, maybe that, that's sort of the path I'd go down. Um, but I'd be open. I've been always keen to have a business or uh, anything like that. So, yeah. I hope that answers your question now. <laughs> You're described as a mental health advocate. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, I think um, anyone who cares and is passionate about mental health you know, is an advocate. Um, I guess the difference is I'm a bit more visible in the community in some ways as an advocate, um, hosting the Life Matters radio show and um, working for Life Matters. But I think essentially it's, it's if we are going to make fundamental changes to how we approach mental health and how we uh, look after our communities and our society, we need to have people advocating every day or what those changes look like. Um, and if that's as simple as me reaching out to young men or even young people in general and saying it's okay to talk to me about how you feel or to people that you love about how you feel, then 
I guess that makes me a mental health advocate. This is the Life Matters Suicide Prevention Trust you're talking about. You're a trustee of that. Yes, I've been a trustee for almost a year now um, Mm -hmm. and treasurer as well. Very intriguing to find that your parents are both doctors. Yeah, well, um, it's funny because there's always a number of assumptions that come with that, like, oh, you're really rich or um, you must be really smart or something. And I know that's never really defined me. I mean, I did think about doing medicine for a while, um, but if anything, I've seen from them why being a doctor is probably one of the worst jobs in the Ministry of Health because they're the qualified people who are actually caring for people every day. Um, but there's there's more than enough bureaucrats above them on higher salaries who have no idea of how to care about people, but they're making fundamental decisions that affect not only the patients but the doctors as well. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think having both of my parents as doctors is a really – it's given me a really awesome insight into – um, how the bureaucracy interacts with the actual professionals themselves. And this has stimulated your interest in healthcare. Yeah, because um, it's so, you know, I think there's a number of ways that you end up finding the flaws in our health system, whether it's you're a patient and you go through it and you see um, <clears throat> firsthand what's wrong, or, you know, you're the son of two doctors who come home and you hear about all the problems, you know, well, that sounds like it could be so much more simpler and, and easier. Um, but for some reason, the government makes it harder to. So harder for them anyway. Was it health care issues that brought you into New Zealand first? What other matters? Um, I think health is an important part of it. Uh, one of our fundamental party principles is that um, things like health and education are not balance sheet items. And ultimately, they're an investment in New Zealand's human capital, in our society. Um, and so... The first thing you should do is rather than saying, this is how much money we have, how do we spend it? It should be, this is the need that we have. Fill the need. If we are, you know, X amount of money in debt, then the government should be fiscally responsible enough to manage that debt. You know what I mean? Rather than coming at it from the angle of, we only have this much money, so we're going to spend this much. And if people miss out, then so be it. You know, if we have to take a maternity ward out of Lumsden, then so be it. You know, I I personally think that that sort of neoliberal mind frame, uh, you know, frame of mind and sort of economic thinking is what has really crushed this country since the 80s. Mm. And you've been involved with New Zealand First for how long? uh, Three years. I mean, I voted for them in 2017. I never really came into my own politically. I loved politics, but I never really thought about it well enough until I voted in 2017. And very gradually, I uh, learned more and more about the policies. And then last year, attended my first convention. Um, and as of this year, I'm the chairman of New Zealand First, Dunedin, uh, and I've been involved with Young New Zealand First for quite a while as well, three years. Mm-hmm. With both your parents as doctors and your own interest in mental health, what kind of improvements would you like to see in our healthcare system? Yeah, oh, great question, Neil. Um, I'll try not to take too long. I mean, the first one would be... <clears throat> Um, there's this thing called capitation. I don't know if you know what capitation is. Uh, it's introduced by John Key's national government. And um, even before the 80s, before those neoliberal reforms, you would have been able to go to the doctor for free. Yeah. And now, if I go to the doctor here, I need a community services card and I need to live here and then I might get affordable health care. But if I go up north and I go to an emergency doctor, it's an emergency, but I know I don't need to go to the hospital, it could be upwards of $100. And that's because the government gives, <clears throat> so the Ministry of Health and the DHBs 
give you a set amount of money per patient. And then the doctors, the GP practices, pay the rest of that. So if you, let's say the patient costs them $100 to have to see, and they're only getting $50 from the government, then you have to pay the $50 to cover the doctor's costs to see you. So I think personally, we need to change that whole funding system and so that you can go to the doctor for free, regardless of where you are in the country or who you are. Um, and that's, <clears throat> that comes down to the fact that we've given DHBs the ability to divide up money um, that's given to them by the Ministry of Health. So that would be the number one thing, is there needs to be a fundamental change into the operational structure of the ministry and our healthcare system as a whole. The other aspects of things I want to change would be uh, mental health, for example. So um, I think everyone should have immediate access to mental health care. There shouldn't be you know, uh, a list of things that they can say, well, you're not suicidal enough, we'll see you later. And then you, you go away and you take your own life. I mean, what kind of system do we... That's not appropriate, and I don't think any government should be okay with that as a system. Um, at the moment, there's no electronic notes of your mental health. So if you get admitted into, the, into Waikari, um, Wakari, sorry, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, and then you go up north a year later and you get admitted into a, into a mental health facility. They don't actually know that you've been admitted elsewhere. Um, and then they're making decisions about your health care and your mental health care when they don't have any information about your past. Um, so that's something that needs to change. Um, I think New Zealand First and in conjoint with the government uh, made a couple of great steps, you know, making um, healthcare free for, I think it's up to four-year-olds, um, putting therapists in schools. Um, but it's it's a far cry from what we need to change. So that would be maybe the two main things, Neil. Um, and and I think it's it's all about the fundamental aspect of it, free mm-hmm. healthcare for all, free accessibility, um, and a complete change to the way that we address mental health. Suicide has been a big issue in New Zealand not only youth suicide, uh, we hear of uh, great problems in the business community, uh, in the farming community. Mm. Where do we need to tackle this? How do we need to tackle it? Yeah, so I guess there's so many different facets to it. The first one is young men. Um, <clears throat> there are young women who become farmers, um, but you know, it's one thing to talk to a, you know, a well-off urban young man in New Zealand, and granted they have similarities, but rural young men have even less of an opportunity to open up about their emotions. Um, And it's it's actually been quite interesting to me, and I think it's a a fortunate aspect of my upbringing is that my family was quite open and honest with each other. Um, But if you you, uh, in in a social environment where people aren't as open to you being honest about how you feel, then it's going to be far harder to talk about if you are suicidal or if you are depressed. So that's the first thing, just a cultural change. The second thing is, um, you know, we can't keep demonising our rural farmers or, our, or even just our, our rural citizens. Um, and I see it every day, especially at university. Uh, I see it with environmentalists who think that they're, you know, hell on earth. Um, and that's just so far from the case. I mean, one of the only reasons that this country experiences any prosperity is because of the hard work and the, the sweat and uh, toil of people out in the in, in the rural areas of this country, whether it's farming, whether it's crops, uh, you know, sheep and beef, dairy, you name it. Um, and they deserve, they deserve our respect as a whole. So I think that's an aspect of it, too, of it as well, which would help sort of the cultural shift that we need. 
Yeah. Listeners, we're speaking with Robert Griffith, who's the New Zealand first candidate for the Dunedin electorate in the coming election. Robert, you're an executive member of Young New Zealand First. You were instrumental in developing a policy on pill testing. Mm. You might explain that. Yeah, so, I mean, I went into our convention last year. One of my favourite things about convention is everyone in the party who appears gets an opportunity to talk and vote. Um, And Winston had and Caucus had previously, before this, said that they weren't going to support pill testing at festivals or party pill testing. And I was quite for it. You know, obviously I've been a student. Um, I've seen firsthand what it can do to people. I want my friends to be safe. And we managed to convince, um, you know, maybe I think probably only like 51 to 55% of people voted for it. So it was a narrow win within the party. But what was interesting about it is it taught me how important compromise is. So, yes, testing pills is a, is it a way to keep people who are taking those pills safe. Um, but at the same time, the current regime that we have, the thing that the Labour and the Greens are supporting, is that there, there is no one on hand to talk to you about mental health. There is no one telling you what exactly that drug is. There's no, and if, if that drug is rat poison, or you, you, know, you think it's a drug and it turns out to be rat poison, they don't take it off you. They give it back to you. So, and I don't think um, the state should be paying for something like pill testing if we don't have a system in place that's going to keep people safe. Because if that's the whole premise of it, then it's um, then it's foolish to think that the current regime is actually going to keep people safe in that regard. So the interesting thing that's come out of that is I can fully see why Caucus came to the decision that they did um, originally, but I don't don't think that means that we have to then quit trying to find a way to make pill testing a viable option for people that are going to take pills, because the reality is people are going to take drugs, um, and it's our responsibility to look after them. Robert, voters are being asked to express their views on two separate referenda at the time of the election, on the recreational use of cannabis and voluntary euthanasia or assisted suicide. What are your views on those two subjects? Yeah, and so I think as a bit of a disclaimer... um, this is personal view, and the only reason they're going to referendum is because of New Zealand First, and that's because our party principles dictate. Uh, and I, you know, one of my favourites is that big social issues like this need to be to referendum. Um, personally, uh, I'm a bit fifty-fifty on euthanasia. I understand that an aspect of that bill is that the person would, um, you know, let's be honest, would inject themselves. Um, and so, if you've gone through enough loopholes. If you've gone through enough hurdles um, and people think you're safe to do it, you're the one doing it. So a doctor isn't going to break the Hippocratic Oath. So in that way, I can sort of support it. Um, I would be worried about the slippery slope, as in where are we going to draw the line? Is there an age limit? Um, so, and that, that's all things that the public will debate. Um, and I'm excited to hear once we have some opportunities to debate it. Cannabis, on the other hand, um, what I don't like about the current talk about cannabis is that, it, you know, it's almost two trains going right past each other. I'm not sure if you saw Nick Smith and Louis Swarbrick debate on uh, New Sub Nation, I think it was. And Chloe, I mean, she'll admit that there's a mental health aspect to cannabis and that it's not going to help mental health at all. But where are the solutions? I, I don't hear anybody in the pro camp right now um, talking about the solutions to mental health that are going to arise from when we vote yes to cannabis, if we vote yes to cannabis. 
because um, that's what I care about. I mean, I'll probably vote yes, but that's contingent on the fact that it is going to make positive changes because, um, you know, if we're going to take, if we are going to tax it or whatever, we are going to make a market for it. Let's, let's figure out a way to make sure that we do help mental health and depression at the same time. So I'm, a, I'm leaning yes, but in many ways I'm not happy with the yes camp and how they're running the campaign to mm-hmm. vote yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Let's turn to the Dunedin electorate that you're contesting. Firstly, the nature of the seat and then the calibre of the candidates that you're up against. Mm. It's a very diverse electorate and includes the university, a major port, uh, the Otago Peninsula, small towns, farm country, Mm. city suburbs, ranging from well-to-do to the less well-off. In what areas will New Zealand First have the greatest appeal? Yeah, <laughs> well, I like to think that uh, New Zealand First has a great appeal everywhere, Neil. Um, but you're right, it is a very diverse electorate. Um, and I think the average age is about 35, based on the 2017 election statistics, um, which shows that, you know, I think the opinion is that it's mainly students, but that's just not the case at all. I heard about a family um, who lives in North Dunedin, and they can't even take their kids out on the weekend to go to the park because there's glass everywhere. I mean, that's who we need to be fighting for in the community. The, the university, as an entity, is the biggest business in this town. So I, I personally think students' interests are represented quite well. I mean, the OUSA make a number of um, – they, they, they can have a decent effect on the council, especially because our mayor is in the Green Party. But, um, so the average age is about 35, which shows it's very diverse. The majority of our electorate, uh, of our electorate, my electorate, is not married, um, doesn't have kids, um, is non-religious. Um, so, in all those regards, I represent, um, <laughs> I represent the electorate somewhat, maybe just a little bit younger than the average age. Um, but yeah, I guess there is no single area that I would be campaigning in because I, I want to fight for everyone, you know. And um, that is something that I've personally never liked about the way party politics and electorate politics is going um, is because whoever we vote in as an electorate, um, I want them to represent regardless of who you voted for um, mm. and not be in a cabinet position dealing with a whole other ministry. I want them fighting for our voice. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, Neil, it's a bit of a boring answer uh-huh. from my end, um, nothing specific. And how will you campaign? Are you doing door knocking, street yeah. corner meetings or what? Well, you know, I think, that, you know, that is the sort of cliche way of campaigning, you know, you show up to people's doors and you knock, and I will do some of that. I will do some, you know, you will see me out in the street. But like the real, the th- one of the things I've learned is that people in New Zealand don't, you know, they're not as passionate about politics as some people like myself or you. Now, and I think they don't want every politician and his dog coming up to them and offering them, you know, all of King Midas's silver. They want they want outcomes and positive solutions and things like that. So there will be elements of, you know, the classic cliche campaigning. Um, but a big part of it is I'm just always here, my numbers out there, my contacts out there. Um, and it's, yeah, the, I'm always available in the community for anyone that wants to hear from me. Um, so, yeah. A big student population, what are the issues you'll be talking about that will appeal to students, student loans perhaps? Yeah, so um, our policy in 2017 was that, and still policy because that's what New Zealand First does, I mean we don't give up, 
um, seen from the coalition, we've achieved so much. But it's if you study for three years, or even four or five, then as long as you work the equivalent amount of time in New Zealand afterwards doing that job, then you get your student loan wiped. So if you if we if taxpayers pay for you to get a medical degree, all that we ask of you is that you work the equivalent amount of time that we gave you the free money to get that degree for in New Zealand. Um, so I think it's a pragmatic approach between not putting the country into a whole bunch of debt over free education, but also providing free education. So mm-hmm. it's a win-win. And family welfare, another issue. Yeah, so um, Tracy Martin announced it. Um, we would just consolidate, because I don't remember in the 2000s, National had to make up a whole bunch of new um, benefits because they realized that the current one wasn't doing the job. And so now you can apply for you know five or six different benefits, which puts a huge time cost and cost on families that need it. So we would just consolidate them all into one big family benefit. And it's based on the child as well. So if someone tries to tell you that a same-sex couple wouldn't be eligible for the benefit, they're wrong. Hmm. Robert, is it a concern to you that two of your opponents, David Clark and Michael Woodhouse, have not only served as cabinet ministers, but they're very (laughs) up-to-date on health issues, something that you want to talk about? Well, I mean, (laughs) I shouldn't laugh, Neil. I'm sure they are up-to-date. But I think New Zealand deserves a lot better. I think they are good people. I've met David and Michael, and I have the utmost respect for them that they've been in the position as long as they have. Um, You know, it takes a kind of person to get into that position. Um, But personally, I'm sick of it. And I know know many New Zealanders are sick of it too. Um, What have we got to show um, from any, any of the things that they have purportedly achieved? I mean, all of the key major achievements in health were New Zealand first policies during this government. Um, you know, free education, free healthcare for under fours or whatever, and therapists in schools. That was New Zealand first policy. And the money that David Clark announced for the Suicide Prevention Office, where is that? I would love to know, um, <clears throat> Mr. Clark, if you're listening, where is that money? So. Yeah, no, I'm actually not too afraid at all. I mean, they'll probably try to use that against me, but so be it. Other policies of New Zealand First you consider will be of particular relevance to Dunedin voters this election? Yeah, well, I mean, the main one's obviously the Provincial Growth Fund, and it's not necessarily Dunedin City. It's about our region as a whole, because we have such a large region here in Otago, um, and it deserves that investment. Um, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, I think a lot of our positions on customs and things would be helpful for the port. Um, but yeah, um, I think in general, it's a it's a holistic approach that would benefit Dunedin as a whole, and mainly the student stuff, the student loan stuff that would help mm. students. Yeah. And, and finally, Robert, coronavirus has imposed challenges on not only New Zealand but the entire world. Uh, challenges we've not previously experienced. How well has the government coped? And should New Zealand perhaps have tackled the issue on a joint party approach? Yeah, well, this is a bit facetious of me, Neil, but I don't think we would have done so well if it wasn't for Mr. Peters in there. Um, Jacinda's great. Mrs. Ardern is great. Um, But a huge element of the success of the government during COVID has been the steadfast leadership of Winston Peters um, and New Zealand First as a whole in that cabinet. Um, should we have a joint party? 
I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, I don't know if national would be as helpful as they as we would need them to be. Um, but it sort of brings me back to what you said right at the start, which is, you know, in a time of struggle like we have now, um, it's difficult to be weighing up the options. And I think it's quite the opposite. I think that COVID has given us the ability to see what kind of leaders we actually need um, and what kind of leaders we had in some of those positions in Parliament. Um, and it and hopefully will better inform the rest of us um, when it comes to making that decision in October. Robert Griffith, thanks so much for the discussion. You've given us a, a lot to talk about, mm. a lot to think about over the coming weeks uh, on issues that will become even more significant to us as we're looking three years ahead. So thanks for your time. No much appreciated. And as with all candidates, we wish you well. Cheers, Neil. I appreciate it. And that's our program for the week. And this is Neil McMillan closing with a reminder, you can catch Pulse of Politics at the same time every week on air, online or on podcast. You've been listening to Pulse of Politics, broadcast every Sunday evening at 8 o'clock on Otago Access Radio. If you'd like to hear this program again, you can download a podcast from oar.org.nz. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.